Welcome back to what is yet another episode of the Zane Red and White podcast. If you happen to have listened to me previously, welcome back. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm your host, Zane, and what do we do here? We talk all things Swannies. And what a time it is to be a fan of the Swannies. Oh, and two, sitting pretty on the top of the ladder. I know we haven't played great opposition, as the media would like to say, but you can only play who you play, and all that matters is how you play. And how have we played? In my opinion, brilliant. First off, just a little bit of the lay of the land, as they say. In this week's episode, I will go over the game style, a few individual performances, moments that stood out to me, touch on the VFL, AFLW, even the Academy, anything red and white that caught my attention. We did it again. We followed that roadmap. That roadmap, the one that starts off on the freeway of ferociousness. And we followed it all the way to Victory Street. It's all about the three Ps. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And we brought that pressure Match that up with holding the structures like we did all over the ground, as well as hard two-way running, we shut down that opposition. Just like last week, we did it again this week. The Hawks usually like to play on from a mark. Very much so. So much so, 31.9% of the time, they play on after taking a mark. That's pretty large. Last week... We only allow them to do it 16% of the time. And that is a testament of our pressure. Our pressure is a double-edged sword as it damages you on both sides, both forward and defence. For example, midway through the third quarter, we had five of the eight inside 50s. And of that, we retained the ball inside 50 80% of the time. And we scored... 60% of the time of those entries. It's the pressure that allows us to have repeat efforts, shots on goal, and not allowing them to hurt you going the other way. That all comes down to structure and pressure. Two things that we have really buckled down on from the get-go. And that's been the difference I've found between us and them. Gold Coast and the Hawks this week. Gold Coast didn't come out with the pressure. They lifted, but then they dropped off again. The Hawks, they came out like a house on fire. I think it was like 2.4 pressure ratings, something around that, where last week they were down around 1.5. We knew they were going to come out hard. We had to match it. The difference is going hard, but going longer. And that's all about four-quarter footy, and that's what the professional teams do, and that's what we're going to be this year. I heard Papley talking about it in a post-game interview how they've really set themselves for in those games where they felt like it's an opposition that you're expected to beat, where we have dropped games previously. It's about being not, he didn't say ruthless, but it came across as, we're going to be ruthless. Put these teams to the sword. Don't let up. Don't take them for granted. Give them nothing. Not only does it boost percentage, it also drills you in habits that will set you in good stead for when you come up against a greater challenge, such as this week against the Demons. Some people are thinking we're walking into this one, maybe even possibly favourites because of the outs that they got. 
But if anyone knows a team can respond, uh, they rise to the occasion because of those outs. We've done it many times, famous victories, up back to the wall, up against it. So I'm not writing demons off. They're a brilliant team. We play the MCG pretty well, but it is their home turf. I'm going to be there. It's going to be my first live game for the year, and I'm bloody excited. Back to that pressure. This is related to our defensive half pressure axe. In that third quarter, we had a rating of 2.3, and by doing so, we now hold four of the five highest defensive half pressure axe quarters for the year. It's early days, but what more can you do than being the best? And that's what we are at the moment. I'm going to take it. I'm going to ride with it. We're on top of the ladder. I don't care what time of the year it is. That makes me happy. By the start of the second quarter, we'd scored 40% of the time from chains of possessions that started from the defensive 50. Again, that is our trademark, along with our pressure, is hurting you when we get the ball back, especially from the back line especially because you can get the ball in the hands of guys like Blakey, Campbell, even Oflo now, Lloyd. McCartan's a great field kick. Starting to see a bit more of it. Teams are starting to catch on, and they even sent a tag to Blakey early. Didn't affect the man. He still had 523 metres gained, eight rebounds. I think he had like 24 disposals and 18 of them were kicks. And he went at 88% kicking efficiency. And from all those disposals, he had five score involvements. And there was none better than that kick. Do you remember that one? He was running inside 50 and he kind of fades away and deliberately puts it off the side of his boot and just waits it beautifully to Heaney who runs onto it, goes back and converts for his 200th career goal. The man's a genius. You watch him at times, and it's like Magic Johnson. It's like he's looking one way and the ball goes the other, but that's exactly what he meant to do. And he's running carry and he's there. It's just so aggressive. He had a game-high three bounces. It just gives me flashbacks to, like, the greats of, like, Ty Canelli or Melcheski coming out of that back line. Yes, they turned the ball over at times. Yes, they ran into trouble. But that's the weapon. It's like sometimes they don't even know what they're doing, it feels like. And he is, as I've said previously, my son's favourite player and definitely one of mine also. I touched briefly on Florent. I mentioned just then about Florent now becoming one of those weapons coming out of the back line. I thought he had an absolutely brilliant game on the weekend. I've never seen him more comfortable or as damaging. It was even shades of, like, I mentioned on Twitter that I was starting to see a resemblance in his game style to McVeigh. And there is no more higher praise than that, as far as I'm concerned. The man had 21 disposals. This is an example of how good of a game that, I, that he had. Halfway through the third quarter, he had 21 disposals, which he was the leader on the ground at that time. He also, at that stage, had eight intercepts which ended up being a game-high equal with the intercept king, Paddy McCartan, who he also equaled with three intercept marks. These are things that I didn't ever really think that Oflo would be attributed to. Intercept marks and intercept possessions and 
Yeah, mate, you got to just be loving it. He's just so involved. He had three goal assists. He was involved by that, uh, what was it, halfway through that third quarter, he had six scoring chain involvements. In the end, he ended up having eight for the game, which was only one off of Parker, who was the game-high leader in that stat. And when talking about coming out of the back line, you got Mr. Reliable, you got Lloyd. He had 24 disposals, 16 of them kicks, going at 88% kicking efficiency, four score involvements for a very respectable 469 metres gained. He's got himself a new partner in crime back there, it looks like, though. Braden Campbell, how good is this kid looking? Like, we always knew he had the ability, but he's looking settled now. I mentioned last week about his rundown speed, closing down guys and tackling. Again, brilliant again this week. He had five tackles, and he puts that pressure on, which allows other guys, such as Mr. One Percenter, Dane Rampey, to do what he does in that back line brilliantly. Once again, Rampy, game high, one percenter. Not surprised. Like I say, he's missed a one percenter. He had six spoils. And that comes from, I say, that pressure on the ball carrier from guys with their rundown chasing with ability, such as like a Campbell, even a McInerney, all of these guys, even a Gildan, the pressure acts that guy has across the field, just up, back, all over the ground. Unbelievable. One spoil that comes to mind, though, as a favourite, was Widden. Rampy was going back, and he ends up double-fisting the ball and just crashing to the ground in a heap. And you can see him wincing in pain as Blakey sweeps in and gathers the ball, does his little juke move around a couple of guys, draws a man over the top to Oflo, who runs straight up the guts at high speed, over the top to Logan, who runs the 55 and drills it on the full, mind you. And since I'm talking about Logan, last week on my podcast, I asked him to step up and just own the SCG. And did he ever? Five goals. Thank you very much. He outscored the Hawks on his own. I saw a list of past players who have done that, and they had names such as Savrocka, Alistair Lynch, and Wayne Carey. That's pretty good company. We've got something special here, Swannies. Mark my words. It really highlighted the type of player that I believe he's going to be, where he's just not just a lead-out player or monster a guy in the goal square. It's his running ability, high footy IQ, and skills. Example of his hard running, being able to use his IQ as well, knowing when to go. There was that goal where Heaney was coming down the wing and he spots the open 50. Logan's running into space, just kicks it out in front of him, runs onto it, easy as you like, goal square goal. Another example was a hack kick forward. I think it was Haywood and Papley putting pressure on. He's lost his man again by running in off the wing. I think it was Impey points for someone else to pick him up because he's lost him by like 20-odd metres. The ball, the, ball the ball spills free, gathers it one-handed, pressure coming at him, turn, snap, goal, collapses in a heap from exhaustion. Didn't even celebrate that one. But you know who did celebrate it? The great man, Horse. I saw him on the bench. I saw you, Horse. I saw that smile. I think that was appreciation for Logan's effort as well as watching it coming to fruition. The pressure of those forwards and Logan just getting involved. How could you not smile? I know I was. The other thing with Logan's hard running, he marks all over the ground. 
He's that option up on the wing, even coming out of defence. Gets out in front, can, can take an overhead grab. We're talking about marking on a lead. How good did Joel Amati look? He definitely came to the party. He looks so good on a lead. He's a massive unit. I don't know what he is, 197, something like that. And he's got speed to burn. Those times where you'd see the forwards doing their thing, creating space, and he demanded the ball. And he was converting as well. He actually broke his career record for goals of a game, which he ended up getting four, of which he did by half time, mind you. And that was something through the years watching him in the VFL that was holding him back was his converting. He still missed a few this week. I mean, you're not going to become Tony Lockett when you start as far back as he was starting. Let's talking about starting behind the black ball, listening to Ty Canelli talk about him on the radio. When Amadi first came to the club, apparently he couldn't even run a lap. That was how poor his fitness was coming from, I think they said a basketball background. I thought, I was the assumption it was a soccer background. So, I don't know. But if you can't run a lap of a footy oval, that's saying something. And it's been hard for him to work on it. Like I heard Horse even mentioned this week during a press interview that in the five years he's never had a preseason. It's hard for big guys with the big bodies who are agile and athletic to try and get that those K's into the legs, I guess. And it's such a combative sport as well. And if you're crashing packs like he is, there's going to be injuries. I mean, I don't want to say look at Sam Reed because that is the type of player I think that he can become. And it works so well in unison with a Logan because Amani can own that 50 where Logan's going to do his thing. He's going to be the Nick Rewalt. He's going to be the Nick Rewalt type. He's going to be... I'd like to say Wayne Carey, Jonathan Brown. They're all over the ground, but they're still hitting that scoreboard. But back to Joel just quickly. Horse mentioned that they'd already gone in with the idea of having an amount of game time that they were going to play him for. And if the cookies crumbled their way, if the cards played out as such that they had no injuries and all worked out the plan... They were going to take him off at three-quarter time just to manage him because he's only played the one previous game the week before as he'd been injured, as had most of the tools, apparently, through all of the preseason. And not only did he come off in at the end of the third quarter, looking at the stats there, he only played 50% time on ground, so I'm not quite sure how much time he actually spent on the field, say maybe possibly in the third quarter before they took him off. But that's a pretty good, pretty good game. Four goals, nine marks, 50% time on ground. Take that every day of the week. And as for the combination, like I was saying how potent it was. In the first quarter, five of our forward 50 entries were targeted either towards Joel or Logan. And from those five, it resulted in four goals, two to each of them. And for the entirety of the game... There was 15 entries that was directed to either Joel or Logan. And from those 15 goals, from those 15 entries, there was nine goals. Nine from 15, that, I'm not even going to do the math, because I'm not great at math, but you do the math. 
That's that's good. Nine from 15. Come on now. And with those two guys combining for nine goals, it's no surprise that the goal spread wasn't as such as last week, which was 12, which was just brilliant. This week was six, but four of them were multiple goal kickers. And, for, and it was the first time Mills had been a multiple goal kicker since round one in 2021. And I touched on this previously also, that if guys such as Mills can and Errol and, say, a Rowbottom can up the amount of goals they kick throughout the year, it's really going to make us so much more damaging. And it's one of those ones, again, I touched on it previously, where, who was it, that Tim Watson was saying that you can't expect any more than Mills, from Mills. He can't. There's no more improvement in him. If he's only been a multiple goal kicker this week for the first time since round one in 2021, I think that's an area of improvement. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. And when I look at Mills, like, and I can kind of understand where he's saying, because to me, he's the best all-round player in the comp. There's not an aspect this man can't do. Down back, all Australian. In the middle, brilliant. He can play wing. He can go forward. He can mark overhead. He's the best handball, especially from congestion, I think, in the comp. They're just bullets. They're like diesel-like. I love it. And he's a leader. He's our captain. And speaking of captains, did, did you happen to catch that vision from, I think it was on the couch, the club released uh, the vision and the audio of Parker being mic'd up during the game. This is brilliant. Like, if... The Swans can give us more insight like this as far as content's concerned. You, you can't go wrong. Like I heard Brownie saying on the couch that this was as close as you'd see to the how realistic it is crossing that white line. And Buckley said he was even getting like itchy. He hasn't played in 15 years and listening to Parker out there giving directions as he was playing was making him itchy. Like he's getting that white line fever. He wanted to get back out there. And Lyon went on the mention but you reckon there would be hardly anyone in the comp that can give that level of instruction during the heat of the battle. And he was even giving instructions to guys such as Mills, who is a co-captain and a superstar of the game. It's brilliant. If you haven't seen it, look it up. If you can get onto it, get on social media. If you can't find it and you are on social media, like say if you're on a Twitter and you're not following me, get on it. Go and follow me. Hit me up. I'll pass it on to you. And as I say... Get on Twitter, seriously. For a Swans community, it's the best. There's so many content creators. There's so many huge Swans fans. Great people. So much dialogue going backwards and forth and information flowing around. It's my go-to for Swans content. And if you're not following me, it's Zane Red and White. You'll see me head, just like the picture on this podcast. Any questions... Uh, even if there's something that you could think of that you'd like me to talk about on this podcast, hit me up. I love interacting with the fans. Fellow fans, that is. But back to that pressure. And if I'm talking about pressure, I'm talking about Robottom. He had the second most pressure points for the entire season with 48. To rack up that 48 came from a huge part from his tackling. He laid... He stuck six of his ten attempts. 
three of which were inside 50, which was a game high. But this was just something that just stood out to me. As I say, the three inside 50 tackles, which was a game high. Another game high that he had was the four forward 50 ground ball gets that he also had. And from his uh, possessions, 76 of them, I think he had 14 touches. Yeah, um, 76% of them were in the forward half. Which is, I'd, I'd have to go back and look, but I can't remember him spending so much time around the forward 50. But he still had his time in the middle, especially, I, I assume, centre bounces, because he was still the game-high clearance getter for us, also the centre clearances. So he was still in the heat of the battle, but a lot of time up forward. Like, I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that one. Another pressure beast is the junkyard dog, Errol Gilden. My gosh, that man. Did you see that tackle? That tackle on Nash. The, Nash from the Hawks is 197 centimetres. 95 kilos. Gilden is 175 centimetres and 77 kilos. I swear, Nash looked over his shoulder, saw it was Errol coming, thought, ah, I'm just going to brush you aside. I don't think so, big boy. Once he locked on, he was going nowhere. Holding the ball, thank you very much. Brilliant, Errol. Brilliant. And he was brilliant again, all over the ground. He's just an elite runner. He's just so damaging on both sides of the ball. He had four inside 50s. 28 disposals, 19 kicks for 487 metres gained. On the other side of the coin, he had a game-high 15 defensive half pressure axe. He just knows where to go, be it wing, be it back, be it forward, be it in the guts. I really reckon that he can become like that herd type where he's a contested beast, but he's so damaging with his skills and his IQ, so he gets to the places where he knows he's going to be most damaging and most impactful. This is an example of how high the man's IQ is. An interview with Horse during the week, he was talking about Errol and such, and said, uh, talking about his IQ, he said it's to the level that he's one of the guys, while on the bench, Horse will turn to for advice. Horse turns to, is it his second year or third year? Either way, Horse is turning to Errol for advice. That says a hell of a lot. So all of this pressure and hard two-way running, it's really seeing it up beautiful for our back line to do what they do. The Desperados holding firm down back. They only allowed five marks inside 50 this week. Last week there was only the three, but the weather would have contributed somewhat to that because it was so hard to take a mark. We did have 12 ourselves last week, but that was because we were just so dominant. We just, we just we just dominated a bit like this week, and hopefully again this week. But as I say, the Desperados, they're back in full flight. And Rampy's just doing Rampy things. Like I say, Mr. One Percenter. And it's starting to really rub off on Tom McCartan. Like last week, I can't remember what he did wrong. Either gave away a free kick, or something along the lines, inside defensive 50. But seconds later, makes amends. Just runs full belt, lays a tackle, wins the ball back, never hung his head for a second. It's what you want to see. 
and again this week. I can't remember who he was up against. I might have been Frost, someone of the likes. And I can't even tell you how many repeat efforts there was. Just chase, 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 body, bump, tap along until they eventually got the ball out. And it went for about 40-odd metres. And that's what you want to see, a man who just does not give up. Now, I can't round out talking about guys that stood out to me during the week if I don't touch on Papley. He's my favourite. Everyone knows it. But if I had to be critical of him, I know it hasn't been his bread and butter playing up the ground as yet, and so that may have played part and parcel. But he's really starting to improve his field kicking, which was a bit of a knock on him, especially his delivery inside 50, which was a bit funny considering that he's so bloody brilliant in front of goal. and like, But now you're starting to see it where he's kicking the ball to spaces that he knows is there, leading the players to it like he did to Logan. I think it might have been the last. Crumbing at speed, like Papley does, like only Papley can do. So clean below his knees. And he just finds that hole. And Logan was clever enough to double back and read the flight out the corner of his eye and just lead on to it. Mark goes back, kicks the goal. It's what you want to see. But if I'm talking about Papley, we've got to talk about that Mark. <laughs> The mark was insane. But how funny was his reaction? He reckons that he was laughing so hard, that's why he missed a shot of goal afterwards. He reckons he's never taken a screamer his entire life. And the only thing that was funnier than his reaction was Chad's. Like, if you haven't noticed, go back, because he puts, apparently, Papley called for the block. So he's putting the block on to allow Papley run into space behind him and take the mark. But Hayward's kick sits on Warner's head, so that's why Papley gets to sit, and he comes in and he sits on Warner's head, and Warner looks around, he's like rubbing his head, and he's like, hang on, what's going on? Was <laughs> and of all people to be on the spot after Papley takes the hanger is Heaney, hangers Heaney, and he's celebrating, it looked like he was celebrating on his way down. <laughs> it's brilliant, you just got to love the chemistry and the enjoyment from these boys. And... Again, Horse says that he talks about the youth and how the enthusiasm just runs through the group and just just fuels them week in, week out. And he says it energises him as well. I even heard Rampy in the preseason saying how the young guys energise him to make him want to keep on going and try harder. And I assume that's in his training and everything because he couldn't try harder once he crosses that line. No one can try harder than Rampy. Oh, just quickly on the VFL had their first game. Unfortunately, we were, uh, we went down by 27 points. Uh, I think it was in the last we did get within a kick and the coach said a lot of it was due to fatigue. It was a hot, humid day in Sydney and apparently some of the, the players were on limited game time. I don't know if that was due to restricted pre-seasons or injury worries, or if they were young guys who just can't run a game out yet. But, yeah, so that was apparently what contributed to that 27-point eventual loss. I did see bits and pieces, and the bits that I did see, Francis looked bloody good, I must say. He ended up kicking three goals, which, again, apparently I didn't catch all of it. The coach was saying that he gave a few off as well, just through being unselfish. And if you're already got that demeanour about you and you want to be a team player, that's a great start. And his contested marking looked dangerous. Another man who really stepped up was Gus. Uh, he had 
28 touches and five tackles. And it would have been hard going for him because for a long time you had Bell and Taylor who were the main guys of that midfield and neither of those two are there. And the other one other than Gus, who was like our main midfielders in the VFL last year, was Roberts. So he's not there either because he's the sub. So a lot of it landed on Gus's back. And to stand up and have 28 touches and five tackles, that's bloody good going. And both the boys and the girls academies had games on the weekend, which both were wins. And I have to mention this because everyone knows how people lose their minds over the academies. And can you imagine how much they're going to lose their mind when they find out we've got a father-son player who's in the academy? I'm talking about Indy Kirk, who was named Player of the Week this week. He had 28 disposals. Seven marks, seven tackles, and 11 inside 50s. They're gonna lose it, and it's gonna be brilliant. Brilliant. Not a whole lot of news as far as AFLW is concerned, other than there was one more acquisition I saw Haley Bullis from the West Coast, who is another contested inside bull who has the ability to hit the scoreboard, who also brings leadership again as she was a vice-captain when she played for their Essendon's VFLW. So all the pieces are falling into place as far as I assume they wanted to bring in, I, don't, I can't say bigger bodies, but the ability to win that contested ball, especially in the middle, and a whole lot of experience and leadership. All right, this week, as I say, we've got the Demons, and I'm not writing them off. I don't care who they got out, I'm not writing them off. You can't. They're, they're a brilliant team. You just can't write them off. I know they've got a lot of players out, and it does work to our advantage. In the end of the day, as I say, you can only play who you can play. Now, as far as the selection table goes, players are still not quite going to be back. I think I read that Fox and Clark are still possibly two weeks away from returning to the ability to play, and they will possibly come back through the VFL. Constanti, there is actually no word on his return date. It's just to be confirmed, still saying a shin, which I'd love to know what's going on there, because all the talk coming out in the preseason was how good this guy was standing, was in tandem with Papley, and I was excited. I'm thinking, this is going to be insane. Like, two Papleys... Yes, please. But yeah, unfortunately, he's injured and no word on as yet what's going on with him. But I will be keeping an eye out because I do love a small forward. But the one player we do know is back is Buddy. And oh, did you catch that thing with Lloyd saying how Horse Longmire's got a massive problem because... Joel Amadi and Logan just deserve to be playing. They just deserve, you can't not be playing them. And if I was like on another team, I'd be ringing them and saying, you get 22 games if you come play with us. But he's retiring at the end of the year if you haven't like figured that one out just yet. Like, he's going to retire. Like We can live and hope and dream that we win this year and he wants to go back to back and we go back to back. That's a dream. And I'm a dreamer. But even I'm not saying that he's going around again. So they'll play these guys when they deserve it. And that's the best. You can't say that like a Marty, 
100% has to be in the team at all times. That's the best we've seen him play. And Logan played a hell of a lot last year. It's not like he was like stuck in the reserves for 15, 16 games of the year. They're young guys. I mean, Logan's only 20, and they're coming on. They're coming on, and they're coming on brilliantly. But you're not sitting the man who kicked 50 goals last year who helped lead us to a grand final. I mean, he's not playing reserves to begin with. If he's not playing, he's not going to be playing. And if he's well enough to be playing, he's going to be playing. So let's just forget about this crap, Lloyd. Seriously, mate. So if you're having a look at it and Joel's pulled up fine after the game, as I say, first real run back, if he's pulled up, he's playing. Logan's kicked five, he's playing. Unfortunately, McLean was the quieter of the three, so I would say straight swap. Well, that pretty much does it for another week on the Zane Red and White podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you come back around next time. And I hope to speak to you over on Twitter there. As I say, if you're not on Twitter, jump on Twitter. Swanee fans are brilliant over there. Chuck me a follow. Chuck me a message. Zane Red and White on Twitter. Get on it. And while I'm talking about it, I guess I should do the whole... If you're listening to me and you enjoy it, press the subscribe, press the stars, all of that. I don't know what it does. I'm not tech savvy, but apparently that's what you do. So if you could, that'd be good. Until next time, I'll catch you on the socials. Cheer, cheer.